This is the Westwards podcast, a fortnightly production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. Western Sydney is located on the traditional lands of the Darug, Gunungurra and Tharawal nations, and we acknowledge and offer our respects to all Indigenous people and to their Elders past, present and emerging. Opinions and views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the Westwards organisation. If you'd like to ask questions, offer feedback or simply learn more about what we do at Westwards, please visit westwards.com.au. All right, let's get on with the show. Westwards podcast for today, Friday the 5th of February 2021. My name is James Roy. I am the producer at Westwards. Uh, In case you haven't been paying attention, Westwards is a literature development organisation that basically covers all of Western Sydney. That's two and a half million people, one-tenth of Australia's population. It's only like a hundred different languages and and, uh, nationalities represented. That's not the exact number, but it's those sorts of numbers, big numbers of people who want to tell their stories in their own languages, from their own cultures, from their own families. And what we do at Westwards is we try and find ways to help people tell stories, to uh, access the stories that they value and that they would like to share, and it's an exciting space to work in. Western Sydney is massive, as I said, two and a half million people. Uh, it's Geographically, it's pretty massive too. We're talking about... Uh, from Parramatta to Mount Victoria in the west and then up to the Hills District and uh, Hawkesbury and down to Camden and, and uh, Campbelltown, Liverpool, all of those areas, uh, Blacktown, Penrith, Blue Mountains, you name it, we cover it if it's, west of, uh, if it's in the west of Sydney. So it's a big area to cover. We have a lot to do and we have a lot to talk about. Now last year we had a pretty big year. Uh, I think everyone had a big year last year. It was massively uh, disruptive, the whole COVID thing, and hopefully we're at the tail end of that. Uh, We've got a few big things coming up for this year at Westwood, some very exciting things. We can't share all of them now, except we can give you a hint at a couple. One of them is that we are hoping we'll be in a nice, shiny new home at some point uh, early in the year or partway through the year. We have some very exciting presenters lined up to, uh, to wheel out, if you like, around the traps. We've got more and more programs. We've got uh, school, after-school writing programs, schools programs. We have new staff. And we even have... Uh, now, how much can I say about this? Not a lot because we're still in the middle of uh, negotiating it. But we may have a residential centre that people will have access to if you would like to live for a week or so in one of the more beautiful parts of our country uh, and work on that late, gr- latest, greatest piece of writing that you're working on. So I can't say any more than that right now. That is literally all I can tell you. But in a fortnight's time when the next podcast comes out, I feel pretty confident we'll be able to announce something. So stay tuned for a couple of things in this podcast, mainly uh, some exciting news uh, and... Um, things that I can tell you about. So thanks for coming along and for having listened and uh, let's get on with it. So we're having a bit of a restructure around the way that we do podcasts. In the, in the past we've 
done them fortnightly and we, we will continue to do them fortnightly but we're going to be trying to do the podcast on the Friday uh, at the same time as the newsletter comes out so if you've come here from the newsletter then thanks for finding your way here any of the things that we talk about uh, on the podcast you can find on our website our website is very easy to find it's westwords.com.au westwords.com.au you can find us online Go there and, and uh, there's, there's links and uh, all the programs and things that we talk about are all linked there. Now, one of the things that you may not see just yet, but it's not far away, is something that we are calling the Clubhouse. And this is going to be a children's section of our website. Now, our website is going to be uh, completely overhauled at some point, not too far away. But in the meantime, we will have the clubhouse and the clubhouse is going to be all things uh for young writers and young storytellers in western sydney all the programs that we're running all the opportunities some news and some fun and the videos and the workshops and all of those things that you can find on uh on parts of our our website but the really exciting part of this is the blog because we are going to be having a guest blogger every month and that guest blogger is going to be somebody who writes for young people and this month, February, the launch month, and it's not up just yet, but it should be early next week, is Oliver Pomervan. Now, anyone who is anyone in, uh, in, in Australia under the age of, say, 12, will know who Oliver Pomervan is. He is a Western Sydney writer, and he was a teacher and a stand-up comedian. Now he's one of our more successful children's writers, and he does a lot of work in schools. But he has agreed to be our guest blogger for February which means that he's going to be getting online and uh, putting up uh, quotes and conversation starters and writing prompts and just information and adventures from a writer's desk. He'll be talking about how he does what he does and engaging with young people. So if you want to get online, if you're a young person or or even an older person, you want to get online and have a chat with a real-life author, Oliver Pomervan's your guy. So go to westwords.com.au. Uh, and check us out. You'll find a link to the clubhouse when it's up, which will be early next week, we, we trust. You can get on there and you'll be able to see what Oliver's doing and engage with him. Uh, we've got a couple of exciting people lined up after Oliver, but uh, for this month it's Oliver Pomervan. So check it out. Anyone in the Blue Mountains or in the Children's Book Council will know our good friend Cheryl Coots. Now Cheryl has been teaching for over... Uh, 30 years in the Blue Mountains in Western Sydney. She's been a teacher, she's been an assistant principal, she's been a relieving principal. Uh, She was most recently uh, in the role of assistant principal at Bidwell Public School in in the Mount Druid area. And she was very, she's been very passionate about mentoring inexperienced teachers and the use of literature in the classroom. She's also very active in the Children's Book Council, as I said, and she was recently appointed as a judge for the upcoming uh, Eve Powell Award. That's the non-fiction award for uh, from the seat, the Children's Book Council. Now we have we approached Cheryl last year to help us do some work uh, with some students she was with, and then we were so impressed with the way Cheryl worked that when the time came for us to pull the trigger on having somebody who could be a uh, an educational expert for us, or, or we're calling her the, calling her the school's program manager, but. She is uh, joining us on a part-time basis to help us negotiate that really complicated world that is uh, 
authors in schools and, and literature into schools and so forth. So welcome Cheryl. She lives in the Blue Mountains, so she and I are probably going to be doing a bit of driving together. She's in Lawson, I'm in Hazelbrook, so we're not far apart. Um, as I say, I've known Cheryl for a long time. Uh, she's a wonderful lady, very knowledgeable, and we're really thrilled to have Cheryl working with us. So welcome to the team, Cheryl Coots. Now, I did, ben- I did mention a little bit further up uh, in, the, in the program that we are getting back into the workshops and the after-school creative writing. We have classes for grades 4 to 12, not all in one class, obviously, there's a number of classes. We have still have some, posi- some positions available. Um, so if you go to the, uh, to the website or click on the newsletter, you'll see that we have classes on Monday and Wednesday. They've been conducted via Zoom at, at the present time. Uh, we are hoping that we're going to be getting back into the in-person thing, but for now we're talking about Zoom. So one of the facilitators for this is Michelle Hamadash, who is um, she's a lecturer in creative writing at Macquarie University, and another one is Kim Pham, who is one of our current fellows, uh, who is a very, very talented screenwriter, and she is going to be working with some of the middle-grade students. So if you would like to suss that out then head over to our website and have a look but uh, there's a it's a really great idea if you're if you are your children or if you if you're a younger person are really into creative writing then by all means get into this because there's nothing like getting in a room with a whole bunch of people even if it's virtual and and uh sharing what you do and and working out the best way to do it so please get involved in that now while we're talking about I'm not quite sure how to segue here because there's two ways I can go. I can either segue with the workshops into the other groups or I can segue from Kim Pham who is... I'm going to do that one. I'm going to do that one. No, I'm not. I'm going to do the first way. Uh, Groups. We are running, as we have for a couple of years now, the LGBTI plus writing group. So if you identify um, as any of those uh, letters then you are very welcome at the group. It's a nice, safe place to explore your writing, to share your work. And uh, we came up with a, we had a publication this year that turned out really nicely. So if you're interested, get online, give us a, drop us a line and Chris will be more than happy to talk, to you, talk you through uh, how you can get involved in that. And the other one is a program. We're in the second of three years of program with the, we were approached by the African-Australian uh, Advocacy Centre and we're doing an African-Australian literature development program that is writing groups. There's a fiction writing group. There's a non-fiction writing group. We have been doing work with people writing for children. But if you are of, uh, of one of the African nationalities, if you are uh, involved in African culture by, by birth or by association, then please get in touch with us because this is a really valuable program that is not about telling you what to write it's more about providing people with the tools to tell their stories and to explore their own ideas Uh, in this instance approached by the african australian advocacy center and targeting uh, people of african descent to give help them uh, an opportunity to develop their voice further as a writer and while we're talking about groups see the segues continue uh, Hawkesbury Library, if you're in the Hawkesbury area, we've got Laura Greaves out there. Now, Laura is a, a good friend of Westwards. Let me have a look here. So let's talk about the Hawkesbury Library thing first. Uh, every Tuesday, 
uh, starting, well, it started last Tuesday, but there's still spaces. We accept the Creative Kids vouchers. Uh, it's from 4 till 5.30 on a Tuesday afternoon. And Laura will be uh, sharing how to, do, how to discover new stories, how to find stories that are worth telling, why expressing yourself is important, and, and so on. Now, Laura is a non-fiction and fiction writer. She's currently doing her PhD in, in uh, creative writing at University of Newcastle. But she has recently uh, pitched for, and after a fairly uh, exhaustive elimination process has been named as uh, the inaugural writing residence at the Whitlam Institute's Female Orphan School in Parramatta. Uh, the Female Orphan School is the oldest three-storey building in Australia and one of the earliest examples of social policy in Australia when the Governor uh, of the time, Governor King, and Reverend Samuel Marsden, also known as, known as a whipping parson, uh, decided there should be a school for girls in the colony where they could be, quote, protected and could learn to read and write and gain employable skills. And uh, you know what? These, uh, this was an interesting place with a whole lot of stories, but a lot of these stories have not been told. And so Laura will research and develop the stories of these young women. Um, it, the aim is that her discoveries will form the basis for a major work and uh, that she will use a history that is embedded in this place to create a work of fiction. She said, and I quote, uh, being selected as the Whitlam Institute Westward's female orphan school writer residence is both a privilege and a great responsibility. As the first welfare institution in New South Wales, the school is such a significant part of our colonial history. The young women whose lives were so indelibly marked by their time at the school deserve a voice and I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to bring their stories to life. So... Congratulations to Laura. We're really looking forward to seeing what you uh, come up with when you explore the archives at the Female Orphan School. Now, the segues I was speaking about earlier will continue because first I'm going to talk about one of the projects Laura's working on, which is about the, uh, the Collett family of, of young women uh, in Hartley. And that leads me to consider uh, Henry Lawson, who wrote... Um, the Ghost of the Third Bridge, which is basically a poem based on that story that Laura is researching. And that segue takes me neatly to Andrew Barton Patterson, or A.B. Patterson, or Banjo Patterson, as he's better known. And uh, I, when I went looking for our uh, quote of the day, and as, as anyone who's listened before will know, and I've moved it sort of towards the back end of the podcast today but as you, you may know the podcast the uh, quote of the day is someone who was born or sometimes who died on this particular day and a quote that relates to the creative life and when I went looking for quotes for Banjo Patterson who died on this day in 1941 so he would it, uh, it was his 70 years 70 is that right yeah 70 no, 80 years since, uh, since Banjo left us. So um, when I started looking for quotes, of course, if you type in Banjo Patterson quotes, you don't get things that he said. What you mostly get is bits of poetry, like um, there was movement at the station as the word was passed around, the cult from old regret had got away, etc., or Clancy the Overflow or any of these bush poems. And uh, that's what you get when you go looking 
uh, for Banjo Patterson quotes. So I abandoned my search for a quote and instead thought I would just talk about one thing that I discovered a few years ago about Banjo Patterson, and that is that you know, there's, there's a lot of talk about uh, how he and Henry Lawson, uh, their relationship and their differences, you know, one was this kind of uh, quite um, privileged professional, uh, Banjo Patterson. He worked as a war correspondent, then he became a lawyer and was very successful in Macquarie Street. And compare that with Henry Lawson, who was largely deaf and who wandered the trails between Hartley and, and Sydney. He had a mum who was a suffragette before suffragettes were even a thing. He had a dad who was a labourer and he would sometimes go to Sydney and hang out with his mum and all her intellectual friends. He would sometimes go to Hartley on the other side of the Blue Mountains and, and help his dad put roofs on schools. So they were very different, Banjo and Henry. He was a very fine horseman. And there's a theory as to why he was a good horseman, and that is that when he was a young boy, a, a, a young, very young child, like a toddler, I suppose, he was dropped by his nanny. He had a nanny who dropped him, young woman, and broke his arm. And she was too frightened to tell his parents that she dropped him and he'd broken his arm, so she said nothing. And his arm, uh, the broken arm, when it grew, it grew weaker. And, and slightly shorter. And so the theory goes that he had to develop a much lighter hand on the rein than most horsemen would. And he was renowned as a being a very fine horseman. And this is one of the theories, is that uh, as, a, as a horseman, he had a light hand on the rein, and so therefore he had to develop a relationship with his steed that was a little bit more intuitive rather than controlling. Now, look, I don't know if any of that is true. It may well be. Uh, doesn't change the fact that there's a lesson in this for those of us who are creators, and that's this. Your past and your, uh, what you bring to the table will be different from what other people bring. And you don't know whether... And, and, and imagine how tedious the world would be if everybody could write the same way but, and, and, and did write the same way. But no, we all bring our own uh, imperfections, our own idiosyncrasies, our own histories, our own pains our own uh, misunderstandings. We bring all of that to the way we work as artists. And that is one of the things that really uh, makes the creative world so interesting. You know, it's an old cliche, isn't it, to say, uh, oh, wouldn't life be boring, if, wouldn't the world be boring if we're all the same? But it's actually, in addition to being a cliche, it's also true. So uh, today is the 80th anniversary of Andrew Barton or Banjo Patterson's death. Uh, he contributed an enormous amount to Australian society in terms of Australian art. Uh, of course, he's from a colonial period of Australia that is receiving um, attention at the moment. That is, uh, look, look, looking at some of the warts and all approaches of colonialism and, and the things about colonialism that were not ideal. And, and if, without getting too much into that side of things, uh, Banjo Patterson's contribution to Australian art was... Um, was undeniable and look a couple of years ago people talked about making uh, waltzing matilda national anthem i think that's personally i think that's a really really stupid idea uh, but it doesn't mean that there's not something in that poem and of course that was written by banjo patterson along with some really great stuff such as uh, man from ironbark and mulgerville's bicycle and some really funny stuff and also some uh, some very uh, touching 
visions of a fairly, to be honest, a fairly colonial white Australia. So um, I was going to say happy birthday. It's not his birthday. It's the anniversary of his death. But if, uh, but Banjo Patterson uh, showing us yet again that the imperfections that we bring to our art only serve to make it more engaging. So we have been talking a bit about segues and here is the final one. I talked earlier about about uh, Kim Pham who is running a couple of our children's after-school writing groups and I am now going to introduce you to her sister who as it turns out is also, by sheer coincidence, also one of our fellows this year. She is working on a on a uh, graphic novel with her friend Arla Alfaron as part of their re- their fellowship. But Vivian recently won... Uh, no, she didn't. I, I apologise. Vivian recently was shortlisted for the Victorian Premier's Literary Award in the adult category. Now, she did not win, but she did... Uh, she was one of the shortlisted writers, which is a massive effort for her first book. So... What we have right now is a reading from Vivian Pham, reading from her book, The Coconut Children, and it was shortlisted for the Victorian Premier's Literary Award. So here's Vivian Pham. Hello, everyone. My name is Vivian, and today I'll be reading from part of this book. It's um, called The Coconut Children, and it's my debut novel. It was published in March last year. Um, and it's about two teenagers named Sunny and Vince. Um, they used to be childhood friends, and they're actually next-door neighbors. But they grew apart since they were little because Sunny is growing up in a really strict household. And Vince, um, well, the book actually begins when Vince um, returns from his two-year sentence at juvenile detention. The section I'm going to read is the beginning of chapter 10. Um, and in earlier sections of the book, um, in other parts, Sonny and Vince have been in the same room, in the same hallways, um, in the same house, because he came over for, he was invited over for dinner by, um, Sonny's grandma, but they, um, but they don't really, well, Sonny fantasizes about him, but there's no real connection between them, and there's no, um, we don't see any, um, glimpse of the children that they used to be and the friendship that they used to have when they were when they were when they were young. So this is why my favorite chapter is chapter ten, because um, it's just the first time that we get a sense of what they're like when they're little, um, and they finally meet, then um, they finally kind of notice each other. So I'll just start reading now. Chapter 10. The Stash Since Vince left their house that evening, Sunny had become a soul tied to its senses in semantic knots. Her capacity to reason pretzled logic in painful ways. At times, she even questioned if she could make the ontological claim that Vince had been over for dinner, since he hadn't so much as tasted her mother's cooking. Some weeks passed with no further interaction between the two. He didn't seem to bother much with school anymore. Of the 12 periods of drama he'd had, Sunny had seen him twice, and on both occasions, she tried to orchestrate their passing each other in hallways or courtyards, but nothing came of it, not even a feeling. Vince had a strange power to look people straight in the eye 
and make them feel invisible. Which is why, when she overheard her mother on the phone talking about how he'd been visiting his little sister, her heart went out of her mind. Sunny was now more eager than ever to shimmy out to the front of the house and check for mail. She propelled herself ever higher from the trampoline to spy over the fence. When she, when she hung the laundry to dry, she stretched her time translucent under a cobweb of old bed linen, anything to catch a glimpse. He'd only come home in the evening, so the most she could see of him was an outline through the living room window. Even so, Sunny was too impatient for sleep those nights. She wondered if there was any chance their proximity made her appear in his mind. Might his mother have mentioned her name over dinner? Was he lying in bed right now? Could he be thinking of her? One windy afternoon, Sunny's mother decided her hair was getting too long and took her to a nearby salon built at the back of somebody's house. Large bottles of peroxide and rolls of catering foil lie stacked in a corner. Just inside, the hairdresser's month-old baby slept noiselessly on a hammock. Sunny's mother reminded her that her hair was holding on to all her bad luck, and it needed to be chopped off ahead of exam time. No matter how Sunny tried to dispute her hair's ability to absorb misfortune, she could not change her fate. In her mother's mind, superstition was a science. And so, when the hairdresser asked her how short she wanted to go, she let her mother hold a finger to the nape of her neck, not daring to say a word. Sunny was so busy staring into the mirror and keeping, for her, keeping herself from sniffling that she was unaware of someone watching her just outside. A fight in one of, in one of the surrounding streets had scattered when the police were called and boys were seeking asylum in people's backyards. Vince had just jumped a fence and landed on a patch of cooking herbs. Having sustained an injury from the prickly cilantro leaves, he held onto his ankle with both hands and hobbled along, cursing in pain. While he struggled to keep his balance, Alex and Danny were already at the other end of the yard, helping Tim Tam over to the garden next door. Hearing voices from inside the house, Vince squinted at the window and saw some girl reflected back at him through a full-length mirror. He found himself holding his breath as the scissors chewed through the bundle of her hair, so black it was a silhouette of itself. When the shadow fell away from her face, it revealed yet another mystery, a stranger who might have once been someone special to him. That's Vivian Pham reading from her book, The Coconut Children, uh, published by Vintage Australia, and recently the shortlisted one of the shortlisted books for the Victorian Premier's Literary Award. So congratulations to Vivian, and uh, we're wishing her all the best as she continues in her fellowship. That's it from us uh, this fortnight. We'll be back in a week with one of the Mini Masterclass podcasts on the other podcast channel, the Westwards Mini Masterclass podcast channel. And then a fortnight from today, we will have the next of our, uh, our news podcasts and news and features podcasts. So until then, stay safe in these crazy times and as we always say, happy creating.